Well, good shepherd, you outdid yourself. My first Christmas at Good Shepherd was this Christmas. And let me just say, wow, what a beautiful evening on Christmas Eve. Uh, We had nearly a thousand people come to worship that day. Uh, Truly remarkable. The musicians, the uh, just the beauty of that night here was truly special for me. Uh, Truly special. I hope that you have had just the merriest Christmas filled with family and friends. Uh, I also know, though, that this time of year, uh, culturally, uh, we're moving on, right? I asked earlier, who here has put their tree out to the curb? And from what I could tell, the only one who has was the Hoops family. (laughs) Emily's like, the tree is gone. We're getting it to the curb. Uh, Because it's New Year's Eve. It's the day. It's New Year's Eve day. It's New Year's Eve. You know what that means, don't you? All of the specials on TV today are 2023, the year in review. Have Have you seen these? Folks, it was the year of Taylor Swift. I mean, Taylor Swift's been around for a while, but this was her year. And, and her boyfriend, he plays some sport. What's his name again? He, he, he's going to get beat up tonight by the Bengals, right? We hope he's not injured, but, you know, all in good fun. Those, those yearly reviews come really quickly, don't they? One second... It's tinsel and garland, it's nativity sets, it's this beautiful holy moment where we're, we're hanging on to every word of silent night, holy night. And the next moment, in the blink of an eye, it's get your resolutions ready. How are you going to be better next year? Culturally, we move on so quickly to what's next. But for us that gather... I really believe that this is a special time of the year because we are those Christians who are unlike a a lot of other Christian traditions in our society and in our world. We truly celebrate 12 days of Christmas. This is the Christmas season for us. And one of the reasons that I think it's so special is that we're reminded of some, some stories in Scripture that often get overlooked and bypassed. Every week when we gather for worship, we tell stories from the life and ministry of Jesus. Correct? Correct. Yes, we do. And those stories that we tell most of the year, 49 to 50 weeks a year, are about when Jesus is doing his ministry through the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And all of these stories that we tell week in and week out cover about a three-year time period in the life and ministry of Jesus. Theologians and scholars believe that the Gospels recount about a three-year time period from when Jesus was roughly 30 years old to 33 years old. 90% of what we talk about, what we preach, what we encourage ourselves with as Christians has to do with that specific time period in his life. But during the Christmas season, which is 12 days, we focus on Jesus as a child. It's so easy to skip over this season, partly because we don't have much to work with. Scripturally, 
we have three stories from the infancy of Jesus. One is very familiar to us. It's the story that we heard last week. It's the story of the birth, the angels and the shepherds, the wise men that come. It's Christ in a manger, the the nativity set. Outside of the Christmas story, we only have two stories or tales from when Jesus was a child. One has to do with what we heard today. Mary and Joseph want to fulfill all righteousness under the law of Moses. This is Luke, the the author of Luke's gospel, reinforcing that they were devout Jewish people who wanted to fulfill the customs of the day. So they bring the child to the temple to dedicate the child and for the rite of purification. It was believed that Mary would be purified, not because she was evil or wicked or, or she had done anything wrong. It was just a cleansing, a natural cleansing culturally that the woman would come for the rite of purification. The child would be dedicated as a firstborn. And then the second story that we have is when Jesus is a child, a little bit older, and it also takes place in a temple. Do you remember that story? Now, It's a story that's hard for us to to grasp in our culture because we live in the world of helicopter parents. You you know what a helicopter parent is, right? They're one that just hovers right over their children at all times. I sometimes feel like a helicopter parent. I'm probably guilty of it, especially here at church. If you've seen my little Luke, you know he could rip all this garland down in a matter of 10 seconds. When I have him here in my office, Alex can attest to this. I have a little hot water kettle. He, out of nowhere, he'll just grab it and throw it. And now water's everywhere. Luke can just, so I need to hover. But the second story about Christ's childhood, the whole community had traveled from Nazareth to Jerusalem to the festival And the family, Mary and Joseph and other siblings at this time, are headed back to their town. And they look around and they're like, where's Jesus? They have to turn around and go back to the temple and there's Jesus sitting with the priests, right? How can they do that? How, How did they misplace the Son of God? If you've ever lost your kid in like Walgreens, you're in good company, right? Mary and Joseph lost the Son of God. That's it. These two stories are all we have. And yet, I think if we slow down for a moment, they have something really profound uh, to teach us, to remind us of. You see, every week, I don't know about you, but for me, I tell myself that my role in this world as a disciple, as a disciple, a follower of Jesus in 2023, 2024, my role is to live in love like Jesus. That's why we tell these stories. Jesus fed the hungry. I should feed the hungry. Jesus forgave the sinner. I should forgive myself and others. Jesus welcomed the outcast. I should welcome those that the world excludes, right? This is the main paradigm for how we think about our faith. You remember the 90s and the bracelets we wore in the 90s? What would Jesus do? Well, I think these three weeks where we focus on the infancy of Jesus, the question for us is how are we called to live and love like Mary or like Joseph? 
She gets a lot of attention, doesn't she, for one week. Let's hang on to that a little bit. You see, Mary and Joseph, they had this great calling on their lives, a great responsibility. And I am certain they both felt totally overwhelmed so many days. For those of us in the room that have had the joy and the heartache and the pleasure of welcoming children into the world, we can relate. Raising children is really difficult work and extremely rewarding work, let alone the Son of God. All of these promises and prophecies were spoken about this child. Can you imagine how often Mary and Joseph had to have doubted themselves? Am I doing this right? Am I, am I, am I nurturing this child? Am I raising this child the right way? And yet, they did, obviously, the best they could. They sought to fulfill the law of Moses. They sought to do things culturally um, that, that, that were correct. You see, I think raising a child can be some of the most rewarding and heartbreaking work that we do. But what I know about children that I think is so powerful is that they have an ability to soften us. And that's really what I think Christmas is all about. Who here loves nativity sets? Do you love them? One of the things that I love about nativity sets or art that depicts the manger scene is that you have this motley group of characters assembled together right? You have the scared and overwhelmed parents, Mary and Joseph. Sometimes you have an angel hovering above, and then you have these hardened, rough-handed shepherds that look a little bit dirty, like they're wearing rags, and there's wild animals near them. And then there, in contrast to that, on the other side of the manger scene, you have these wise men in fine linen and in robes with crowns in their, in, uh, jewels in their crowns or in their, in their garland. You, you, you have this beautiful scene, but one thing in most nativity sets that unites all of the characters is that their focus is solely on that child, that babe in the manger, right? And have you ever noticed the expression on the faces of the little porcelain figurines? The expression always looks softened. It's the same expression that we find whenever a new mother brings a child nearby. People intuitively gather and huddle around that mother. And what do you hear? Oh. Children have the power to soften us. And if Christmas should accomplish anything in the world, it should be to soften the hardened heart. I was a father twice over. Our oldest is Brianna. She's 10 years old, going on 20. Do you know any like that? Yeah. Noah is our middle son. He's seven years old. He's really into playing with magnet tiles and 
and building things. Beckett and I were parents twice over with our first two. But I can admit that I don't think that I really grasped what it means to raise a child, to nurture love and life into the world until we were pregnant with our third, who is Luke. When Becca told me that we were pregnant with Luke, my mind started racing like it did the first two times that I heard we were pregnant. We have to ready the house. We have to prepare things. With Brianna and Noah, we didn't find out if it was a boy or a girl until birth because there are very few happy surprises in the world, right? And I thought, whether it's a boy or a girl, it's a happy surprise. But with Luke, we found out because we had all this girl stuff and all this boy stuff and we wanted to be responsible and purge, know what we need to keep. So we knew we were having another son. We started dreaming up names. Luke was one of them. Luke's my favorite gospel. Everything was going as planned until a routine ultrasound when the doctor came in a short while later and informed us that it appeared that there was a malformation in our baby's brain. Well, what does this mean? Well, we need to confirm it with a fetal MRI. So the MRI was scheduled, and when we got the results of that, we were told that our child was to be born missing his corpus callosum, or the main nerve bundle that connects the left and right hemisphere of the brain. I spiraled into research. I read medical journals that are well above my pay grade. Becca reacted very differently, wanting to isolate herself from as much external stress as possible. She only listened to our doctors. She's the smart one. I wanted to know what to expect. I joined Facebook groups with other parents who had children diagnosed with this condition and and it was a dark period in my life. What if there was a chance our son was going to be born blind because the corpus callosum connects right where the optic nerve is? There was a chance that Luke wouldn't be able to walk until he was four or five years old. There might be a chance we were told that Luke would need to live with us or in a care facility his entire life. All of the anxieties and the worries were carried into the birthing room. And something amazing happened when Luke was born. The worry, the anxiety, the fear, the trepidation all seemed to melt the second I was able to wrap that child in my arms. You know, a child has the power to soften us. And it was holding Luke in those early moments of his life that the message was reinforced for me. God does not give parents children. God gives children parents. You see, it was reinforced for me that my calling, my role was to nurture and steward and raise up love and life and hope and wholeness. God had put me and Becca in Luke's life and Brianna's life and Noah's life, but not just our children's lives. God has placed each of us in the lives of others with a very clear mandate, a very clear calling. 
It's to nurture, love, support, and raise up light for the world. It was a no-brainer that that child was going to be named Luke, which means bearer and bringer of light. What would shift for us in these next few weeks as we enter into 2024 to think about our walk of faith, our calling as Christians to be like a new parent? Whether you've had children or not, each of us can play a role in nurturing, stewarding, cultivating light, love, goodness into the world. We can do it through the children in our own lives, grandchildren, neighbor kids, our own kids, but we can also cultivate and steward light and love when we, when we don't rush past talking to Betty and aisle C at Kroger because we need to get done with our shopping list, but we linger with Betty because we know Betty's lonely. You see, we cultivate light and love in the world every time we forgive. Not just the little things our spouses or neighbors or co-workers do, but the big things. The big things that grow resentment within us. Every time we forgive, we cultivate light. Every time we're generous and we get outside of ourselves and we, we go down to Taft Elementary or we, we build at Habitat, every time we volunteer and we take food over to the needs pantry, every time we pour ourselves out, we cultivate light. We grow goodness in this world. You see, our calling is to be like Mary. It's to be like Joseph. We are not the Christ, but we have a role to play in bringing that love, that life, that hope into maturity. This year, when we tell the stories again from Jesus' ministry, in the back of my mind, I'm going to be thinking not only of all of the wonderful things Jesus does, but I'm going to be wondering where he learned some of those things from. I guarantee you some of those things came from his mother and Joseph and his community. Don't neglect the power of our call. The power of our call is to wrap this world in God's love, trusting that that love will grow and multiply and spread so that all the world can know that love and life win. Amen.